So we're going to continue our series on David this week, and 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 last week we saw David as he as he journeyed through this this life, and he was given opportunities to to do things, and he was even cheered on by his friends. Hey, take this opportunity. This is a good thing. This is a good idea. Do I think his friends were evil per se? Do I think they were bad? No. No, I don't think so. I, I, I think just we as people, sometimes we get ourselves in a position where we see something good and we think, yeah, go for it. That's a good thing. Go do it. But David listened. That was the key to last week's lesson is listening. Listening to the guidance of the Holy Spirit and doing what the Holy Spirit asks, asks of us. So this week we're going we're gonna to dig a little deeper um, uh, so just as a quick air, o- overview, David was given the low-level low level shepherd's job. Um, he killed a lion and a bear and Goliath. So, you know, uh, lions, tigers, and bears, oh my, they don't scare David. Um, he was chased by King Saul for a long time. Uh, Saul chased after him, who eventually fell on his own sword <clears throat> because David wouldn't do it for him wouldn't kill him. And then after, after all of that and fighting with the Philistines, he actually lived with the Philistines. He actually moved in with them. Um, and we're going to start in 2 Samuel. We're going to start in chapter 5 this week, um, if you wanted to open up your word of God. But David, up to this point, is following where God tells him to go. I can imagine David waking up in the morning, I said it last week, and him saying, okay, God, what do we do today? And then him just, God puts a footprint out there, and he steps in it, and he is just walking with God, and everything that he does ends well. So in 2 Samuel chapter 5, starting at verse 1, it says, All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, We are your own flesh and blood. In the past, when Saul was king over, over us, You were the one who led Israel on their military campaigns. And the Lord said to you, you will shepherd my people, Israel, and you will become their ruler. In verse 3, when the elders of Israel had come to King, uh, King David at Hebron, the king made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king of Israel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I pray this morning that I would decrease, that you would increase. Father, I pray that my words would not be spoken, but yours would. Holy Spirit, go before me. Prepare the hearts and minds of the people that are here to hear your word. Be with us this morning. Take over this service. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, as we as we've gone through this, we look at all the all the things that David David did and all the great things that he was able to do with God's help. And and in in verse 4 and 5, it says, David captured a thousand of his chariots, 7,000 charioteers, and 20,000 foot soldiers. He hamstrung all but a hundred of the chariot horses. And I want to stop right there and explain what hamstringing a horse means. There's multiple ways of doing it. Back then, when we, we had one horse and not several, you know, we got a bunch of horses under the hood of our car now, right? But, uh, but back then, you had a horse. And to stop the horse from being useful, you would do what's called hamstringing the horse. And you could do that temporarily by just 
lacing its two front feet together so it couldn't stride. And it would keep that horse in a certain area. But if you, if you captured the enemy's horses and you had no need of them, they would take a knife and they would slit the hamstring of the horse, rendering the horse useless. That's what hamstringing a horse was, is, is, and, and he hamstrung all but a hundred of them. In verse 5, and when the Arameans of Damascus came to help Hadadazer, king of Zobah, David struck down 20,000 of them. He put garrisons in the Aramean kingdom of Damascus, and the Arameans became uh, subject to him and brought tribute. The Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. He's following, he's listening, he's focusing on what God has for him, and he is, he is stride for stride with God. And God is saying, do this and I will bless you. Do this and I, I, I will continue to bless what you do. And David continues to listen and to follow God's guidance. In chapter 9, we get into this, this, uh, this uh, different guy. His name is Mephibosheth. Say that five times fast. All right. And, and he is the grandson of Saul. Now, back in that day, I want to give you just a little picture of what happens. When a new king were to take over, okay, it's not like in the United States where the old president shakes hands with the, the new president and he walks off and everybody's happy and smiles, right? That's not the way it worked. Back then, when you became king, you went ahead and killed his entire family, the whole lineage. You took them all out because you did not want Saul's grandson to think he has some right to the throne. So you wouldn't be kind to this person. The new king would come in, set out the edict, take care of this, finish it. But David doesn't do that. He doesn't do that at all. He tries to be kind. And he, and he sell, tells Saul's grandson, come eat dinner with me. Sit at my table where you belong. Your rightful place is with the king. David is listening, and God is guiding and directing him in a way that is different than everything else. Up to this point, this is the way it worked. This is the system. This is what we do. David says, no, God wants me to be kind. And I'm not going to do away with his lineage. I'm going to invite him into the palace and invite him to sit at my table and he extends this kindness. And in chapter 10, he does it again. He does it again. The Ammonites, again, should not have been, he was not required to be kind to these people. But he, he sent his people, there was a death in the family, and he sent, he sent his people to, to, to pay homage. Sent, sent some friends to the funeral. And said, go, go pay, pay respects. Well, in chapter 10, the Ammonites didn't like it. They were afraid, thinking David was coming in to take them over and spying out their land. So they shaved half of the beard off. Now, how silly would that look? Every dude in here with a beard, we'd just shave half of it off 
And, and, and yeah, you're going to, you know what? In today's society, it might work. I don't know. I, I, listen, I'm wearing a sweater, okay? I never in a million years thought you'd catch me dead in one of these things. But listen, these, these, these Ammonites were afraid, and, and they get to that place, and, and, and they're like, no, we, we need to do something different. And, and David's just trying to do what God wants him to do. Have you ever done, been there? Have you ever thought, you know, God, you're calling me to do this. I'm going to do it. And you take a step out, and, and the person doesn't receive it. Or they receive it in a way that was never, you didn't, it was never meant to be like that. Sometimes when God calls us to do things, it is not received well. Right? That, that's the same today. That isn't, that isn't just thousands of years ago. This happens today where your intentions are pure. You, you're thinking you're doing the right thing. Can I pray with you? Can I, can I do this? Because you're just extending an olive branch, right? Extending it out. And these people, these people say, nah, I'm good. No thanks. Don't need your kindness. In chapter 11, starting at verse 1, in the spring at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab with the other king's men and the whole of Israeli army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. Isn't that funny? Up to this point, when David's a shepherd, he's following God's path, and he takes care of a lion and a bear and a giant and 2,000 soldiers and, and charioteers, and he gets all of this stuff. And then all of a the sudden, there's a shift. There's a shift in chapter 11 where David's not where he's supposed to be. He didn't go where he was supposed to go. He didn't do what God was telling him to do. This is the first time we're catching sight of this. This is the first time we're hearing of, of, of David not doing what he's supposed to do. In verse 2 and 3, it says, One evening David got up from his bed and walked around the roof of the palace. From the roof he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said she is Bathsheba, the daughter of of Iliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Sometimes we're not where we're supposed to be. Sometimes we're not doing what God told us to do. Sometimes we're not listening. Maybe we're not hearing right. I don't know. I, can, I could give you a thousand excuses as to why I don't do what God called me to do at the moment that he calls me to do it. But there are times in my life where I found myself in that position where I'm standing there and I'm like, I should not be here. And I wonder if in that moment, God was kicking David in the seat of his pants, saying, what are you doing And if you think for, this, for a second that the devil won't wake you up in the middle of the night to put you in a place where you shouldn't be, you're mistaken. 
See, I don't believe that it was an accident that David woke up at that moment and walked out and she was bathing at that moment. I don't think that was a mistake. I don't think it was, I think it was, it was driven. Evil will drive this world and it will drive you if you're not careful. You see, David, before this moment, was walking in the footsteps of God and he's listening and he's hearing and he's doing. And something shifted. And it was a moment. It was just a moment. A moment where he woke up and he was tired and he needed a breath of fresh air. Not a big deal. Happens a lot. Walks over. Looks out. I don't think that was an accident. I don't think it was divine God-ordained. But I believe the devil will wake you up and put you in a position that you shouldn't be. How do you stop that from happening? How did David stop this thing from happening up to this point? He stayed focused, and he listened, and he heard, and he obeyed. And then in this moment, he failed. Read on in verse 5 and 6, it says, The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. So David, David sent word to Joab, said, send me Uriah the Hittite. And uh, Joab sent him to David. Oh, boy. Sometimes we make things worse. <laughs> Sometimes we take a, a moment, a mistake in a moment, and we being people think we're smarter than God, right? And we fashion ourselves a good shovel. Start digging ourselves a big old hole. And, and at every turn, <laughs> we make it worse. And we think we're trying to make things better, and we think we're trying to get it figured out, and yet, I'm reminded that when there were two people on this planet and one rule, just one, they, neither one of them could keep it. So I look at David and I think, okay, he put himself in a bad spot. He wasn't listening. He had a moment where he ignored God's call. You, you ever have those moments? And then, 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 then that moment, it's like, well, I got to fix this moment. God, I messed this up, so let me fix it. And as we shovel deeper, and deeper, we get ourselves in a hole that just feels too deep. And David finds himself in a position where he's calling <laughs> for another man's or another woman's husband. We come home, and David has a plan. I don't believe God is a part of this part of David's plan. This, this part of David's plan is 100% David's. You know how I can tell? Because it's dumb. Right? <laughs> God doesn't do dumb things. He doesn't. We might think it's dumb, but at the end, listen, if you know the future, then the next step is an easy one. 
God knows the future. God knew David was going to make this mistake and have this weak moment, and, and God knew that David was going to be dumb and formulate a plan. Bring me the husband. I'm going to have him go home and lay with his wife. And then she will be pregnant, and no one will know that it's mine. Genius. He's a genius. It's the dumbest plan I've ever heard in my entire life. Especially when Uriah the Hittite comes home and says, I will not leave my men. This guy had a conscience. He's like, no, I will not go lay with my wife while my men are dying in battle. I won't do it. He was a good man. Could you imagine being David at this point? Can you not be so good for a minute? Can you please have a moment like I did? Just get... get. I can imagine David putting little rose petals in the door. Here, come on, little heart-shaped hot tub in there. I don't know. He's the king. And, he, and, 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 and he's like, fix this without telling him this is the plan. And he finds out the man slept outside. Are you nuts? You're ruining the plan. It's my plan and it's a good one. Not a good plan. Dumb. You came up with it, David. The same guy who had a plan to take down a giant. The same guy who formulated armies and took out thousands and thousands and thousands of enemies. This is the same guy who came up with a dumb plan. What's the difference? The difference is God was involved here. And then something shifted, and then God wasn't. And David quit asking God, what do I do now? Because sometimes we get ourselves in a position, we find ourselves in a place, and we say, you know what? I made this mess. I will clean it up. Right? Right? Because that's the gospel, right? That's what Jesus said. Come to me all are weary and heavy laden, and you will figure it out. You will give yourself rest. You will figure this out for yourself. Because you're... Nope. You won't. I got a secret for you. Don't know if you've ever heard this in church before or not. But you are not enough. You, by yourself, are not enough. You can't do it on your own. Here's the perfect Savior that we serve. He says, you don't have to. He says, you don't have to. I will do it with you. I will lead you. I will guide and direct you. I will show you the way. And then we find ourselves in a position. The first week I was here, I told you about Jesus leading his disciples into a boat. And then that boat running into a storm. But Jesus put them in the boat. But Jesus took them to the storm. As soon as the storm hits, we think, oh no, we got to figure this out. Let me make a plan. Let me formulate a plan. Let Bring me Uriah the Hittite. I'll have him lay with his wife and nobody will know that the kid is mine. Sometimes we get ourselves in these positions and we convince ourselves that we've got it figured out. This is how I'm going to fix my mistake. David 
thought he figured it out. And Uriah the Hittite threw a monkey wrench in it. And that forced David to do what comes next. We're going to get into that next week. But I, I, I just want this morning so desperately for you to know and to understand that God is not asking you to do a thing on your own. Nothing. You say, but, but God, that pastor stood up there and said to me over and over again that I'm not enough. That I can't do it. And, and you're right, you can't. You're not enough. You were never supposed to be. You were never asked to do this alone. And God wants to lead you, and he wants to walk right beside you like he was with David. And sometimes, sometimes we'll, we'll, we'll run into a storm and think, oh no, what did I do? How did I get here? And sometimes it's God leading us into that storm. Sometimes it's our own dumb selves. Can anybody else in here admit that they've done a dumb thing or time or two in their lives? Let me tell you, you ever been in that place where right after you do it and the consequences hit and you're like, that was not the smartest thing in the world. When I was a boy, I was convinced that we were like cartoons. So I climbed up on the roof of our garage and I drug my bicycle up there. <clears throat> and I was going to ride my bicycle off. And I thought that you would go out, right? And my, fa my father had gravel delivered to have put down. And there was a pile of it. And I thought, I'll jump off the garage and land in the gravel on my bicycle. This is a great plan. And I, I get to pedaling. Never realize how fast you drop when there's nothing under you. I thought when you hit the edge of the roof, you you feel the breeze, right? Woo! And you, the back tire lands first, and you ride off. And I was going to be the coolest kid in the block. And I go off the roof, and you know what happens to the front tire when? Yeah, that's exactly. Yep. I go straight down. Front tire hits the gravel. Head goes. That far, it bent the front wheel of my bicycle in half. It, it ruined everything, and of course, I learned from that. And I realized you need to wait till winter and do it on a sled because <laughs> you'll go faster, right? I formulated these great plans. Both times, I end up in the hospital. Dumb move. Right? This is where David's at. It's like, David, stop. You just want to grab him and shake him and say, dude, quit it. Please stop. Don't do it. It's that, that, that thing that you want to look away, but you can't. You're like, please quit. I've been there. Church, I've been in those places where it's like, whether Jesus brought me here or not, I'm in a storm. And I... I <laughs> I can't figure out which way's up. And right now, I feel like David's in a place where he can't figure out which way's up. He's just trying to balance things. 
I'm the king of Israel. I got to figure this out. David is not enough. He's not enough on his own. He will make bad choices on his own. My kids wrote a song. Um, and it's called You Are Enough. And I'm, I, I want to play it for you this morning. And I just listen to the words of it and, and understand where it's coming from. Why? 
I'm not enough, but you are enough. God, you're enough to finish what I can't. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. And sometimes we make mistakes and sometimes we get in the way. Sometimes we fall on our face and sometimes, sometimes we're walking right along with God, step for step. And it feels good. It feels good to be in his will. It feels good to, to know that we're, we're, we're taking the right strides. I don't have to do it alone because I'm not enough. And that comforts me because he is. And I know that he is good. I know it. Bow your heads with me this morning. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you this morning, God, and we pray, God, that as we go through this life, that we ask you first. We ask you first. What what do we do today, God? What is your will today for me? When we listen, we're obedient. God, help us to discern and understand the path that you would have for us. Guide and direct us and help us to remember that we don't have to be enough. Because in our weakness, you are strong. We give you all the praise and the glory and the honor for that in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Church, as you go this week, as you head out, know this. God has a plan and a purpose for your life, and he wants you to move and act. But listen and be obedient. Be obedient. Try not to formulate a plan for yourselves because you can see where it gets you. <laughs> it gets you in trouble. <laughs> and, and no, you don't float when you go off of a roof. It goes straight down. (laughs) It does. Heavenly Father, I pray a blessing and a benediction on this service. Father, I pray that you go and you be with these people, God. Just keep them safe. Guide and direct them. Give them the desires of their heart. We love you, God, and we give you all the praise and the glory and the honor. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you, church.